Hello, and welcome to the ESG Now podcast. I'm your host for today, Bentley Kaplan. Every now and then, we get the chance to release something just a little bit special, a little bit different to our weekly format. An episode where we get treated to a slightly deeper dive into a juicy little topic. And on today's show, we're going to take a look at one of our five ESG trends to watch for 2021, something that we call the Data Deluge. Now, if you want to get your grubby paws on the original ESG Trends to Watch paper, well, then I've got some great news for you because it is free to download from our website and it's just the right balance of sharp insight and witty prose to go with your morning coffee. And with that shameless plug out the way, let's get into trend number four for 2021, the data deluge. Because as we see it, companies are under more and more pressure to get out in front of the never-ending march of ESG and responsible investment. They're getting peppered with questions, and not only by hardcore sustainability advocates, but by more conventional money managers, like the mainstream. Terms like TCFD, SASB, and SFDR are coming down like rain. But this growing investor pressure is old news. It's 2020 stuff, if you can even remember that far back. What we think will shape the ESG landscape in 2021 is companies taking back some of that stage for themselves and growing their ownership of the ESG conversation. And to understand just how that's happening, we are lucky enough to have two guests sitting right in the thick of it all. The first is Sam Suping, MSCI's Global Head of ESG Issuer Communications. And our second guest is Brian Tomlinson, who has co-authored a very timely paper called ESG and the Earnings Call. We're going to find out from Brian why ESG hasn't really broken into the most important communication channel between a company and its investors and how that could be turned around. Thanks for pulling up a metaphorical chair. Let's shoot this ESG breeze together. My first guest earned her stripes in the passionate, sometimes prickly interface between companies and the ESG team that rates them. Sam Suping is our global head of ESG issuer communications. She's based near MSCI's Toronto office, but Sam and her kick-ass team works with global companies to help explain our ESG rating process and to break down why they end up with the rating that they do. To hear Sam tell it, as recently as just five or six years ago, the space was very different, maybe a little quieter. And although the basic goal of Sam and her team hasn't changed all that much since then, their day-to-day has evolved pretty dramatically. The stakes are higher, the data more complex, the scrutiny much more intense. And it's not only Sam's team that has felt the pressure, companies themselves have gone through a pretty steep learning curve. Uh, So there has been situations where, and I find this a little bit comical, but we would reach out to a company because we make best efforts to reach out to every company that we assess. And we let companies know who we are, let them know that they can review their data, review our research. You know, in this specific case, we reached out to this company. We got a response back from the company and they said, can you just take me off your contact list? I don't know what this ESG stuff is. I'm not interested in it. You know, please remove me. And I'm like, okay. We did actually ask, and again, explained who we were, what we did, you know, if there was anyone who was better suited or more appropriate uh, to kind of handle the questions around ESG or ESG data. We didn't really get a response. A couple of years later, we got an email from this uh, individual um, who said, We've gotten questions from investors on this MSCI research and 
we don't know what this is. We've never seen this before. We've never heard from you before. Uh, and because we track everything and we record everything, uh, and because of my memory, I did recognize the name. Uh, and so uh, I looked back at our records and I, I, it specifically says, asked to be removed from our contact list. And so um, it, it, was, it was funny that kind of came full circle. And it's not just one company coming full circle. It's thousands of them. Thousands of investor relations teams, thousands of corporate social responsibility teams, and thousands of sustainability committees. Some companies made ESG a high priority from the outset, long before the term was even coined. And others have danced in step with their investors who have been placing more and more importance on things like ESG or environmental and social impacts. And to help cope with the growing interest and to process and check hundreds of data points from these thousands and thousands of companies, Sam and her team oversaw the building of a fancy new issuer portal. That's made it much easier for companies to provide feedback and to get transparency. It's also made things a little bit easier for Sam and her team. Not only to make sure that companies can review their data, but to build better relationships with them. But it's funny because even with these shiny new tools, and even with the explosion of colorful ESG-related investment vehicles, at the heart of it, companies are still very interested in how we rate them and why we do it the way we do. But one thing, one little but significant thing that has shifted is exactly who is getting onto calls with Sam's team to find all of that out. You know, if investors are ever wondering if their engagement efforts are meaningful or are making an impact, they are. You know, we are going to be doing some analysis on who communicates with us. I think it varies. It kind of depends on the company, depends on the size, it depends on how they're they're structured. But uh, I would say in the last few months, I have seen more and more uh, directors that are on the board that are getting involved in the ESG conversations of their, their companies, which I we haven't seen before. So we're seeing this mini trend around that uh, in the last couple of months. But I think that is super interesting and super new. That's right. Sam and her team are having more conversations with the company's top dogs. And not only people like the CEO or other executives, but members of the board, the people responsible for acting in shareholders' best interests. And that matters. Because even though there's a bunch of warm feelings and heart-shaped emojis about the idea of grassroots change and stakeholder-centric capitalism, the stuff that really matters when it comes to company strategy and policy is decided by the executive team and inside a company's metaphorical boardroom. So when Sam says she's not only hearing from CEOs, but company directors, well, it's super interesting indeed. Now, our second guest joins us from outside MSCI's virtual campus. Brian Tomlinson is based at the Chief Executives for Corporate Purpose, or CECP. And Brian is the CECP's Director of Research at the CEO Investor Forum, where he partners with CEOs and the communication squads to try and get investors thinking about longer-term horizons. Along with Kevin Eckel and Tenzi Whelan, in June 2020, Brian co-authored a paper called ESG and the Earnings Call, Communicating Sustainable Value Creation Quarter by Quarter, which piqued my interest, because for most people outside the world of finance, an earnings call is a pretty dry affair. There are lengthy speeches by the CEO and CFO, a lot of numbers, words like growth are thrown around pretty liberally, but as Brian tells it, and to those in the know, the earnings call 
is actually the linchpin of a company's communication strategy. So the earnings call is very important in the yearly disclosure kind of choreography that companies have with the capital markets. If you look at recent surveys by, for instance, the CFA Society, you'll see that there would be overwhelming opposition from the institutional investor community to moving away from mandatory quarterly reporting. Across segments from sell-side analysts and long-onlys, people conducting fundamental analysis on companies want quarterly reporting. So it's important in that respect. It's important too because what happens on the earnings call does move markets. And then also there's just the operational significance of the earnings call. If you think about it, this is a company saying how it's done over the last quarter and essentially saying how it's going to do over the next quarter and indeed to the end of the year. But doing that consumes a huge amount of management time for the CEO, the CFO, and particularly the investor relations function. The earnings call is absolutely critical. In surveys of investor relations officers, who are the people that essentially hold the primary disclosure relationship with the capital markets, 85-90% of IROs will say that the earnings call is the most important disclosure forum in which a company tells its story to the capital markets. The concern is that that quarterly dynamic might amplify the pressures towards short-termism. And that is essentially why we want to talk about the earnings call in our paper. Right, so the earnings call is the main way that companies get their messages to investors. And it's one of the main ways that investors absorb company disclosures. But there's a little problem with that. Because even though surveys are telling us that both companies and investors think that ESG disclosure is getting more and more important, ESG data has not really cracked a nod at the all-important earnings call. So... A lot of the resulting discussion tends to circle around short-term financial performance. And Brian's paper takes on this challenge, offering a practical guide for companies looking to change the status quo. Through their work of interviewing teams from investor relations and corporate social responsibility and company leaders, one of the key takeaways that the authors highlight is why ESG has not been invited into the earnings call just yet. There are kind of two sets of concerns which slightly mirror each other. And and this is sort of drawn out in our paper. In our discussions with the sell-side analysts, who are primary constituents, uh, audiences for earnings call disclosures, will ask most of the questions, will have deep relationships with the issuers. They saw a number of issues with bringing ESG into the earnings call. There was a concern that a lot of companies would essentially disclose information that is boilerplate in nature, very high level, not particularly actionable. You can't do much with that information. It's going to be hard to work out how you bake that into your valuation model. And ultimately, that's a core part of the work of, say, a sell-side analyst is to look at a company's disclosures, to look at the numbers being discussed on the call, and to form a view as to how that company is going to do, set a target price, and and so on. And then there's sort of mirroring concerns on the issuer side, which is, you know, well, look, we have this important community of sell-side analysts who uh, help us get our story out to the capital markets. We don't want to start sharing information in this call, which is going to frustrate them, annoy them, disturb what is a well-choreographed dance. There's a lot of theater involved in the earnings call in, in many ways. It's a very choreographed, very very staged event. Companies want to make sure that you know they're not throwing that off. 
There's also the concern on the company side. Are we going to share metrics that are going to reflect accurately, fairly on our business? Because ultimately, you know, when you share financial information, you're sharing a set of metrics that are derived from generally accepted accounting principles. When you share ESG metrics, you're sharing something that comes from a pre-gap kind of space. Okay, so here's the rub. Companies are using the strategically important earnings call to tell the investment community, but especially sell-side analysts, how they have been doing over the last little while and how they think they'll be doing in the next little while. And because valuation models, because decisions to buy, hold or sell have traditionally been built on specific financial metrics and updates, those metrics remain the focus of the earnings call, which leaves things in a strange holding pattern. Companies aren't going to mainstream their ESG data disclosures if that data doesn't become a more common feature of financial models. And investors may not start using ESG data in those models or their decision-making unless it becomes more uniform or vetted in the same way as accounting metrics. And the way Brian sees it is that companies should be the first ones to break this kind of disclosure stalemate. And that a company's first move should be about looking inside itself. There are a couple of ways of looking at it. We think that the primary focus for management in terms of thinking about ESG is to think about an investor-facing concept of materiality, which is you know, how do these ESG issues affect the financial prospects and operational performance of the business? Applying that materiality lens can get you to a set of ESG issues which are identifiable and more easy to manage. In many ways, a key enabling condition of this is C-suite buy-in. The management team understanding that ESG is kind of a precursor of financial performance. You find its impact on value throughout the business model, throughout the functions. And we see that also, you know, engaging with ESG can operate as a forcing function within the organization. For instance, one of the things that we've seen is that ESG encourages a lot more cross-functional collaboration and information sharing, corporate sustainability, investor relations, and corporate secretary. As soon as you start sharing a meaningful amount of ESG information and you want to do it consistently across your disclosure ecosystem, these functions have to engage with each other They have to understand what data they hold. So I think, you know, it's about C-suite buy-in. It's about structuring the governance of ESG within the firm. And then it's about having these ongoing processes to identify ESG issues and, and get down to a set of metrics that can be managed and then disclosed. So Brian makes two crucial points. One is that ESG disclosure is all about teamwork. If a company wants to reduce its plastic waste or measure its carbon emissions, or root out modern slavery, a whole bunch of functions have to share information. They have to work together. From procurement, to office managers, to lawyers, to the CSR team, and even everyday drones like yours truly. But for real progress to take shape, you've got to get company leaders on board. The support of executives and directors is what is really going to get you some traction. And that interest from company leadership does seem to be happening, right? Remember that Sam Suping and her team are taking more calls from the C-suite and the board. And if you've got a smooth internal ESG engine running and the buy-in of leadership, well, then you're actually sitting quite pretty. Because one thing that a company can tell its investors much better than most is how specific ESG variables are going to make operations more resilient or earnings more stable or to make the company more competitive. And it's that insider perspective of ESG 
and a company's ecosystem that Brian sees as being a key driver of getting ESG into the earnings call. Companies can do that in a variety of ways. You know, one is just to simply talk about how ESG is a precursor of financial performance. Where do our earnings come from? Well, they come from a set of dependencies across the business model, and ESG underlies a lot of those. There are a couple of interesting examples from other reports recently around how you can start to use a hybrid set of metrics. A very good paper produced by um, FSG and the, the Shared Value Initiative. In order to tell your full story, you may need to disclose a standard financial metric and a company that with a sustainability-derived metric and explain how these things relate. For instance, you know, relating an EBITDA metric with a carbon intensity metric, noting that as your carbon intensity improves, so does your EBITDA, which is a relationship that we've seen for certain um, utilities companies. Over time, obviously, where, where we want companies to get to is to identify a bright line between ESG performance and, and financial performance. And that brings us full circle, back to our ESG trends to watch, the data deluge. Because we see a big part of 2021 being about company voices getting louder and clearer in the world of ESG, about being active participants in discussions about reporting standards and materiality. For Sam Suping, the phone is likely to keep ringing. But not only because companies will be taking their first ESG steps, but because the pioneers are going to have much more to share about how they see the world of ESG risks and opportunities, both for their own operations and their wider industries. And for Brian Tomlinson, the earnings call might be the final frontier in a company's ESG journey, but not one that is impossible to breach. One that needs internal collaboration and a driving force from company leadership. Because sitting at the heart of our ESG trend is something that both Sam and Brian can see. There is a crucial role for companies to play in interpreting the complex world of ESG. Not only in disclosing ESG data more clearly and consistently, but to quote Brian, in finding a bright line between ESG performance and financial performance. And that is it for this conversation on the evolving world of companies and the ESG future they are marching into. A big thanks to both Sam and Brian for being so generous with their time. What you heard today was a condensed version of longer interviews I held with both of them. And while always tempting to drop in unedited interviews, we absolutely appreciate that the time of our listeners is precious, which is why we try and squeeze out just the juicy bits for the show. One condition of mercilessly editing Sam's answers was that I give a shout out to any companies in our coverage that might be out there listening. Do get in touch with Sam's team if you haven't done so already. We have a number of resources available, including a growing library of content to help navigate the ratings process. A brand new issue communications portal was launched not too long ago, so do yourselves a favor and check it out to find out more about your rating or just to engage with the team. And if you're wondering how companies can start getting ESG more consistently and usefully into their disclosures, do yourself another favor and check out Brian's paper. It's called ESG in the Earnings Call, Communicating Sustainable Value Creation Quarter by Quarter, available around the World Wide Web, but easy to find on SSRN.com. The paper has a lot more than we covered today, so it is well worth a read. But most of all, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and that it gives you a little more to ponder as 2021 unfolds. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc. subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research, LLC, 
a registered investment advisor, and the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to, nor received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.